The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you and for the next half hour, as always on Saturday mornings. A frank, open, honest conversation about gambling and gambling addiction. I'm thrilled, as always, to have with me Dan Trelaro, formerly with the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, now with Epic Risk Management. And joining us all the way from Arizona is uh, Marilyn, who, uh, like myself and Dan, is also a gambler in recovery. So good morning, Dan, and good morning, Marilyn. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Craig. Morning, Marilyn, um, I know your story has been told many times, uh, 60 Minutes, and uh, your connection with Arnie Wexler here in New York, who's one of the uh, foremost experts on gambling addiction. So I appreciate you kind of retelling it for our audience here. When did gambling become a part of your life as we go back in time now? Uh, when did it start before it became a problem? Uh, how did we introduce to gambling? I think it started about 35, 40 years ago, and the first few years, it was not a problem. It was a way to have a little fun. Got it. And was it casino games, cards, roulette, machines? It was casino games and uh, mainly slot machines. Got it. So the first year or two, you're doing it like a lot of people, recreationally, quote-unquote responsibly, not a big deal. And then, uh, yes, it was recreational, but it was also addictive, and I didn't even realize it. You didn't. So as no. you as you look back on it with clarity, you were addicted prior to recognizing you had a problem. That's correct. And give us an idea at at the height of it. You know, how much time would you spend? Uh, you know, playing the, the slots. Well, when I I lived in Yuma at the time, and the closest uh, gambling was either Las Vegas uh, or San Diego or, I don't know, it was really far. It was like a three- or four-hour ride, uh, and I could only go on weekends. But naturally, if I went on the weekends, I didn't sleep at all, so I was a physical wreck at the same time. Got it. So you would go out of your way to make trips to the casinos, then once you were there, it was casinos and nothing else. That's right. I didn't even want to eat. I didn't want to sleep. Hmm. Just gamble. And while you were doing it, um, was there ever a question of, hey, let me take an hour break, hey, let me uh, you know, go outside in the sunshine and walk around a bit? Or was the focus just, I got to keep pulling that lever as, as many times as I can until I got to go home? I, the latter. I thought I had to keep pulling it all the time. <laughs> I, knew, I knew I was going to win. Right. And I imagine along the way you probably had some wins. Yeah, but I put it all back. Sure. So how long were you living that kind of lifestyle prior to to getting help or hitting rock bottom? Did that go on for years? Uh, seven years. For seven years? Yeah. Seven years. And did the people in your life, your family members, ever come to you and say, hey, you know, you, you seem different, you seem off, what's going on? No. They told me that maybe I gambled too much, and I said I could afford it, I, which was a lie. Right. So I, did you have financial problems along the way? Yes, I did. All right. So what happened that made you eventually say, hey, I got a problem and I have to do something about it? Was there a pivotal moment? 
I kind of. They told me I was going to prison for embezzling some money, so I think that was a pivotal moment. Sure. And you embezzled money from a company you worked for? Yes. And with the notion of to go gamble with it or to pay off debts? Uh, no, to go gamble with it, but I was going to win enough to pay back my sure. employer. Right. The intent wasn't to steal. The intent was... I'm so good at it, I'll make yeah. the money back, and I'll, and I'll replenish the money, no problem, yeah? Right, right. Dan, we hear that a lot. Um, you know, I've experienced, you know, you know similar things in regards of, uh, the, you know, the necessary or the, what we think is the necessary, you know, access to funds to continue gambling, right? Yeah, absolutely. Marilyn, thank you for, for starting to share here. It's really just, just good to hear your story. And, and I've, I've heard a little bit about you in the past, so it's good to have you on today as well. Thank you know, you. We hear that a lot, Craig. Uh, you know, People have the intent to say, listen, what, what's the harm? I'm, you know, I'm working. I have access. Uh, I'm going to win it back. It's just a short-term loan. right? You start justifying. I can hear, Marilyn, you were just justifying the entire time. And you also said along the way that you would go gamble. And it's like, I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. I'm just going to pull that lever. And there's almost like that disconnect, right? Like, I'm so good at what I do, I'm going to just borrow this money and give it back. But at the same time, I don't know when to turn it off. And it's that feeling of I can't turn off this good feeling is what just keeps you going again and again. You know, I'm curious, when you went out gambling, did you go by yourself or did you have a group of people uh, at times? Um, my boyfriend and, and I went together. And did he gamble as well? Yes, he did. I think he was also a compulsive gambler, but that didn't enter the picture at all. It was just my gambling. You know, when when I was gambling and even when I was caught embezzling money from my employer, I never had heard what a compulsive gambler was, what compulsive gambling, what did, that it was an addiction. I had no idea. What did you think? I, I didn't know. I just thought I had to win the money. Got it. Um, do you remember the first time you made the conscious decision to embezzle money? Yes, I watched someone else do it at my place of work, and I thought if they can do it, I can do it. So someone else had kind of written the script for how to do it. Right, right. And uh, was it easier than you thought? Yes, much too easy. Right. So give us an idea, if you don't mind. You know, what type of money are we talking about? Was it a couple thousand bucks? Is it a hundred thousand dollars? Like, what type of money over the course of time did you wind up taking? Uh, between three hundred thousand and five hundred thousand. Over the I'm, course, I'm of, not sure. Over the over course seven of seven years. Over seven years. Yeah. So, I'm assuming at some point the company catches on that there's money missing, and they quickly figure out that you're the one that took it. Unfortunately, they didn't figure it out until after they had fired me, and they fired me for an unrelated reason. And then they decided that they better bring in their main accountant and do a little checking. And what? so what happens? You get a phone call one day from them or from the authorities saying, hey, we need to talk? Yeah, from the authorities. And when they accuse you, do you say, okay, you got me, or are you in denial at that point? No, I was not in denial. So there was the so you stole money. They find out, and now you're looking at possibly going to prison. Uh, how did how does that part of the story conclude? Did you go away? Yes. You did. Yes. How much time did you serve? I think it was thirteen months. Th- thirteen months and restitution to have to pay them back at some point yes, as well. Yes, I had to give. A, I had a. I owned a couple of pieces of property, and I had to give that to my victim. Got it. So when you're sitting in prison and you're not gambling 
and life is for the moment falling apart. What what do you say to yourself at that point? Were you mad at yourself? Were you indignant about what had taken place? Did you blame other people? Or did at that point you say, you know, clearly I've got a problem. i got to figure my stuff out. I was very fortunate that I had the chance to go to some GA meetings before I went to prison. I had about three months before I had to go. So I had a chance to listen to the stories and learn what to do and how to live one day at a time. So I was very fortunate. And then when I entered the prison, I found another woman who had the same problem as I did. And she had never heard of Gamblers Anonymous. So we formed a, a, group, in the, a group in there, which was very helpful for me and probably for her. She's still in the program. And how many years ago did this take place? Oh, 30, a little over 30. And have you gone without gambling for that this entire stretch, the 30 years? I have, and I've not had a desire or a, uh, even a thought about it. We're going to continue on with Marilyn and Dan just one moment. It's uh, Hello, My Name is Craig here on Sports Radio 1019 FM, The Fan. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, thrilled to have Marilyn L., uh, gambler in recovery out in Arizona, telling a very interesting story. And, of course, Dan Trelaro, who's now with Epic Risk Management, and formerly with the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, the sponsor of uh, of this show, one of the sponsors, at least, of this show. So, Marilyn, the story is fascinating. So when when they come to you about embezzling, how do you explain that to your family, to your loved ones? It was impossible. There's no explanation. Were they? Were they I'm sure they were surprised about the embezzlement, but were they... Surprised that you came and said, "Listen, I got a gambling problem." Well, I didn't do it that way. They, when seven police cars drove into my driveway, uh, they lived nearby, and they came to find out what was going on. Right. That's when I told them. Did Did you feel any immediate sense of relief that the jig yes. was up, that the secret was out, that you you yes. could, you you did? Dan, can you speak on that? Because you know, there's a part of that that I, I, I can relate to in that you know, once it's over, whether even though it's not over by your choosing, you know, other people kind of force things to be over and expose you for your behavior, there is a sense of relief that I can stop chasing, I can stop the merry-go-round a bit. Yeah, there's, there's two things I want to kind of touch on there. One is, you know, Marilyn, it's so, it's so fascinating to think back in time to when you're talking about a gambling problem at a time when maybe in, in, in the, in the psychi- psychiatry world, in the medical field, it really wasn't thought about. You know, Dr. Custer did a presentation out in Vegas in the late 70s to say, hey, this thing can become a problem, right? So we're talking decades ago when it was never even thought of. So to your point about not realizing it was a gambling problem is, is so well taken. And, and to kind of bring it fast forward to when we admit that we have the problem, it is so refreshing. I know the day that I was found out, February 11, 2010, and I spent five hours explaining everything I had done, there was a simultaneous uh, relief, but also a nervousness and, and scared to death kind of mentality. And what I've realized over time is when that weight is lifted off of my shoulders, 
I'm also transferring that weight to the shoulders of others. And I think that's the part and why we always say this, this program and the work that we do is not just for the person who struggles with gambling, but for the loved ones, because we're transferring that weight to our family members, some of whom are not able to kind of shoulder that burden. Marilyn, for you, and I've said this many times in this show, how much free mental space did you open up when you stopped gambling and worrying about gambling? Uh, I, I couldn't even begin to tell you. But when I did find out that gambling was an addiction and that it could be uh, handled by a 12-step program, I felt this unbelievable urge to help other people. And I went to the GA meetings, and I was scorned because in those days women were not real gamblers. That's what I was told. Any monkey can pull the handle on a slot machine. So I had to get the word out to other women because they were shunned around, not just in Arizona, but around the world. I got. I started writing a newsletter and mailed it to women around the world, and got it on the computer. And then I wrote a book about female gamblers. And uh, I think we got a ton of women following us. Yeah, it's funny. I, I've told the story when I went to rehab out in Arizona, in Prescott, Arizona, and I walked into the room. I was surprised to see women in the room. I never. I, I never contemplated, and I, I don't know if that's a sexist way of thinking about the world, but just it never dawned on me that this would be a problem that women would have. I don't know why. I guess it's somewhat misogynistic, I suppose. And I'm the, si- only, the only female gambler the men recognized as such was if she played cards, but nothing nothing else, no other type of gambling. Really? So, and that is such an old-school way of thinking about it. And I, I've yeah. made lifelong friends with a number of those women and uh, blessed to have them in my life. So, And we've talked on this show with a number of women who are now doing your podcasts and your other type of digital content to try to get the word out. Because there's a boatload of women out there, much like men, maybe not the same amount total, but there's a boatload of women out there that could certainly learn from your experience. And there's a camaraderie amongst uh, all of us where I think it's important for women to share their stories, no doubt. You're right, yeah. So, I, you know, it's interesting that all these years later... You know, this is still a, a part of your life. You still talk about your experiences, the mistakes you made, the way you lived your life. And I wonder if there's any part of you that would like to move on from it and not talk about it so it, no, so it, doesn't, no, so it no. doesn't define <laughs> you. I'll talk about it with my dying breath. You will. Yes. And I, I want women especially to know that there is a problem and that they can do something about it. And I think that's... A great message, and I think it's important also for people to know that in their darkest moment of despair, for people that are just kind of walking into, you know, trying to figure out the problems we all have done in the past, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Like, when you got out of prison and paid your restitution and restarted your life, you were able to have <clears throat> a very fulfilling life, a rewarding life, were you not? Yes, I was. I was fortunate. But that's and that, good... that was the, the part of my life that I wanted to share with other women, that at the age of 61, I walked out of prison without a home, without anything. Uh, I had a car and a bedroom set. And I want women to know 
um, or men that at the age of 61 with nothing, you can get a house back, you can get a new car, you can get all these things, you can get your freedom back. You can't change your reputation, but you can use it to save other women from going as deep as I did. Do you feel like you've rebuilt your reputation? Definitely. No doubt, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things. That's an ego thing for sure, but it's an important one too. Like you don't want to be defined by your mistakes, and not that you no. should be defined only by the good deeds, but you sure, certainly shouldn't be defined only by the bad mistakes you made. Right, right. You know that Dan, we talk about that on the show a lot too. Where you know the shame that comes into this, like you know dealing with uh, you know your mistakes, looking in the mirror, recognizing that you hurt other people, but then there is that pivotal moment. At least there is for me, where saying to the world, hello, my name is Craig, I have a gambling problem, I'm a compulsive gambler, no longer carries the, the weight of shame that it did at one point. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I agree because when you can stand up and say, you know, I, I'm an imperfect, I'm a flawed person, but it, it, it doesn't define me, right? I want to take those imperfections and, and you want to let that light shine through those cracks and, and, and through that vessel, right, of who we are and try to help other people because I think that's what makes us relatable. All three of us can become more relatable and down to earth when, you know, people might have a view like, oh, because things are, seem to be going so well for you now, you must, you know, the, the image of perfection, right? Things must be going so well, but you don't know um, what someone's going through. You know, I, I, I always think about a phrase, and, and my girlfriend used this phrase. She goes, you know, just because I look like I'm, I'm doing well doesn't mean that it's not heavy, right? People say, oh, you're such a strong person, but it doesn't mean it's not heavy, and I think we forget about that at times. And just hearing Marilyn's story of hope and recovery and the stuff that we've shared, Craig, and the stuff that we've heard our other guests, it's just fascinating. And, you know, Marilyn, I'm curious because Arnie is a really close friend. How did you meet Arnie, and how did you get to know Arnie? Well, before I answer that, I want to tell you, you used the word heavy. Uh, and that's what has saved my life. By giving away what I learned, it took that heavy weight off of me. And how did I meet Arnie? Um, I think it was by going to GA meetings across the United States. I became a trustee when I joined uh, Gamblers Anonymous, and I think I met him at one of those meetings. And if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now, Marilyn? Ninety-one. Ninety-one. Wow. Uh-huh. Well, you sound great. I assume, uh, knock on wood, you're healthy and, th- and life is good, yeah? Uh, life is great. Life is great. Even Every better day is you. another miracle. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I really appreciate it. I do think it helps people. And I think, you know, for me at least, letting people know that, you know, you can overcome this. You can rebuild. You can enjoy successes and love and and rebuild relationships. Maybe not all of them, for sure. You lose some. But you can rebuild a lot of them. And you can enjoy success and enjoy life again. And I think that's a great message to share with people. I'd like to share another message that... If there's anyone listening to your radio broadcast and they're new in the program and they don't understand everything about the addiction, I wrote a book about seven years ago. It's called Gripped by Gambling, and it tells the reader what symptoms are of compulsive gambling, what to watch for, and who to contact. Uh, And I think it's helped quite a few people because I get nice... um, responses from people when I go out to a meeting. And say the uh, name of the book again? Gripped by Gambling. Got it. Well, I think it's great. It's a great resource for people uh, for sure, for sure. 
And well, I'm still getting requests for the book. Great. And that was eight years ago. Great. Well, you got a lot of life left to live. There's no doubt about I that. I think so, yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, look, <laughs> I hope to meet you one day, and I really appreciate you, you taking the time early this morning to join us and share your story. Uh, before we let you go, are, are there any regrets that you still have from your previous life that you've, nev- that you've yet to you know, conquer and figure out? Not really, because by joining Gamblers Anonymous, I learned how to live my life one day at a time. Uh, and that's helped me get over everything I've done in my life that didn't turn out so hot. And I don't regret the gambling because I never would have learned how to live one day at a time had I not joined Gamblers Anonymous. Did you ever reconcile with that company on a personal yes, level? Yes, I did. I gave the uh, my properties to them, which was worth about the same amount as I owed them that I embezzled. And I did get a chance to meet the man I had taken the money from at a GA conference. He was working to support uh, hmm. problems with companies having their money embezzled. Hmm. And I could not believe that I met him. And he asked me, did you have to go to prison? And I said, yes, I did. He says, I'm sorry. I said, no, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Wow. That must wow. have been an incredible moment for you to it meet was. that man. I was, I was scared to death. Because he for, he uh, he forgave you. Yes, he did, and wow. he was sorry that I had to go to prison. Wow. Well, listen, uh, I've experienced that as well, and there's still people that you know are out there that uh, you know, I have to deal with on a daily basis based on my mistakes. Uh, so I yeah. appreciate the fact that you got to meet that gentleman and that he did yeah, for you. Yeah, I was very that. fortunate. Well, listen. We appreciate your time very, very much. Thank you. Keep on uh, the fight, and I uh, hope people will go reach out and uh, check out your book. And I look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you, Marilyn. Thank, Thank you. you, Marilyn. Well, Dan, there's a 90-year-old woman. It shows you, you know, gambling addiction doesn't know age, doesn't know sex. It just knows that it can creep its way into your everyday and, and change your life. But what I found most amazing about her and where I hope to be one day is looking at the mistakes I made and appreciating the penalty I have to pay for those mistakes as making me a better person and changing my life for the better. You know, you know, punishment is punishment, but sometimes good things come out of it. Yeah, you know, the, the, the peace and the calmness that she has and the gratitude, Craig, it's like, you know, being grateful, you know, through the process. I'm sure it was not always easy, but for her to look back and say, you know, she needed to have a gambling addiction and go to prison to establish how to live one day at a time. And then, and then having the opportunity to meet the person that she embezzled the money from and have that interaction. And it doesn't always work out where someone forgives you. I mean, I know that personally. I'm sure you're learning that as well. We can't control how other people respond. We can only have the opportunity. And, and, and again, that's kind of freeing again. You know, I, you know, you have that opportunity to apologize sincerely. And however they choose to respond is on them. But at least, you know, Marilyn was able to free her mind up and give herself some more mental freedom and mental space. Every week these stories amaze me, and unfortunately there's no shortage of them. So we'll continue to bring them to you and uh, try to shed some light on what gambling addiction looks like and uh, how ugly it can be and the fact that it's also an addiction that, you know, with hard work and perseverance and love, you can, uh, you can overcome and still live a very valuable life. Dan, as always, appreciate it, buddy, and we'll get you on next Saturday morning again. Sounds great, Craig. Have a great week. You got it. Evan and I are back together, I think. I'm pretty sure we're working on Monday. It seems like uh, we should probably do a show together at some point. 
Danielle McCartan's up next. We'll see you Monday at 2 o'clock right here on The Fan.